We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. And joining me today, as he usually does, it's my wonderful co-host, the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Hey, anything beats lovely, so I'll take wonderful. But yeah, yeah we're here. We're back. We're ready to talk some Pacer basketball, except we're doing something a little bit different today. Yeah, absolutely. So on today's show, we know we usually have been doing a mailbag, but look, at this point, there's not that many questions that are going to be new for the mailbag. So we decided, hey, let's put the mailbag, uh, just give it a break for a few weeks, and we'll see what we can do as we continue to cover this team in the offseason. But I thought it'd be really interesting to look at Chris Duarte's overall season, Fachi. And I think it's been a really up and down year for him. And I know you've talked about this a little bit on the rookie report and just kind of how things started off so hot for him. And now they've cooled off and, you know, he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with a lot of turnover on a team. And at this point, it just sucks because we, we heard from Carlisle Friday night before the Celtics came that there's a good chance he could be shut down for the rest of the year, which I highly anticipate that does happen as there's only a few more games left but um just real quick before we dive into the numbers and stuff like that what have been your overall thoughts on Chris Duarte this season you know when they said hey this guy's NBA ready he showed it on night one we've talked about it you know his pacer debut it was historic it was the best pacer debut you know of any rookie they've ever had 27 points on opening night it made it be like hey age is just a number because this guy's more ready than other NBA prospects except 
you know, towards as the season went on, you know, I felt like his when his role changed, it was hard for him to stay consistent. Obviously, injuries factor in on that, but you know, no doubt about it, started very hot and then cooled off towards the end. Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that because it's just a lot of games compared to the college you know, regular season. I think they play a 35 games in college, something like that, Fachi. Yeah, it's like 32 in the regular season plus whatever you're going to get in like, you know, I guess like your conference tournament, March Madness. So, yeah, it could be anywhere from the low 30s to at most you go on a, a crazy run. You're still not even approaching 40 games. Yeah. So you think about it that way. So basically he's doubling, at least doubling, more than doubling the amount of games that he could play in an 82 regular season uh, schedule. So 82 game regular season schedule. So honestly, for me, like I, I knew this could be a problem. I knew that he could eventually hit that rookie wall. I think for me, the most impressive thing was, like you said, just how hot he started off, you know, just just really enjoyed it. And I thought to myself, OK, I want to continue seeing him, you know, evolve as a player. I think he's really fun. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what his ceiling is, but right now I just feel like 13 points a game on pretty good shooting, four rebounds, two assists. It's not great numbers, but I think good enough to say, hey, this wasn't a bad pick at 13. No, it wasn't a bad pick at 13. And just to really put it in perspective, I went through this past NBA draft. And, you know, Duarte at 13, by many, you know, felt that that was a steal. We knew that. We've heard rumblings that Golden State really wanted him. Um, there was a strong connection with the Wizards and Duarte at 15, but Pacers didn't let him go by. But if you look at it, a couple picks before, you know, Joshua Primo, uh, number 12 overall to, you know, San Antonio. You do a redraft, Duarte's going above him. Duarte's going above Booknight. J James Booknight did not deliver the type of year that, you know, people expected. And then Zaire Williams at 10. I think Zaire's going to be good, but I think if you did a redraft, you know, Duarte could have possibly gone above him. Big difference in age, so that one's debatable. So you redo this draft, Duarte's probably in your top 10 because I, I think that if you went through one through nine, now, and even Davion Mitchell, Duarte, I think, could have gone uh, above him because Mitchell wasn't really necessarily one of the younger prospects in this draft. So one through eight in this draft, very, very solid filled with potential. So I do think that Duarte is in that, you know, that top 10. But this guy would seem like a lock for an all-rookie team. Fortunately, I feel like injuries now, now it's up in the air if Duarte is going to make one of those all-rookie teams. Yeah, so I want to look at just like his overall games here, Fachi, and, you know, mm -hmm. It, to me, he played the first 14 games, then he was out for two, and he came back and played quite a bit, uh, a long stretch here before he got out again for about nine games. I think he played like one game out of like seven from like game 36 to 42. He just played in one game and dealing with an injury, and he didn't play a ton of minutes, just 18 minutes. But when he came back from that, this has been his, been his 35th game of the season. From 35 to 50, he played 15 straight games in a row. He put up some serious numbers there, and that's when we went on that West Coast road trip against the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, um, the 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 Suns, and the Pelicans. And, I mean, I think he tied his career high at 27 at that at one point. Mm -hmm. I think that was against Golden State on TNT. He it had 25, um, 25 points against Atlanta. And I know they lost that game, but, I mean, you just started to see, like, okay, this is a guy that can really showcase some stuff there. But at the same time, there was just so much turnover with this team and I felt like his inconsistent role really did throw him for a loop. It really did, because you're talking about Duarte. He's in the starting lineup on opening night. It's something that people did not expect. But then, you know, Lavert comes back. 
Brogdon comes back. Like it's it's just a little bit of an inconsistent role. And to put that in perspective, Duarte scored in double figures in his first nine games as a rookie. And through the month of October, which was seven games, he averaged 17.7 points on just under 43% shooting and 39% from three. So it was looking good. But once you insert Levert, you know, into that lineup and Brogdon's getting more minutes, we saw Duarte's minutes go from averaging 36 minutes per game all the way down to 26. So 10 less minutes, that's very drastic. It was about five less shots per game. So it was tough. So like you mentioned, his role was up and down. And then you're talking about all the different players that he played with. You know, we forget about the guys like a Nate Hinton or a Dejan Giroux or a Reggie Perry, but there was about 25 different players that logged minutes for the Pacers this year. So Duarte, you know, you're trying to develop chemistry, but you're also in the starting lineup. You're out of the starting lineup. You're getting less shots. It was tough. So, you know, he adjusted pretty well, but here's one thing that we forget about. that he, It's believed that he initially suffered that shoulder injury against San Antonio all the way in the beginning of the year, and that wasn't even brought up until he really started to struggle, and then we found out he had a shoulder injury. So just injuries here and there, it, it, inconsistency, a lot of teammates. It made it tough to have just a, a straight-up consistent rookie year for Duarte. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, he's dealt with some weird injuries. I think he's got the turf toe now, like he's yep. had the shoulder injury. And he played through some of it. You could see he was in pain. I thought it was interesting to kind of look at his starts because, you know, that's just kind of interesting to me. Like, okay, how many games did he start? And like you said, he started like the first 15 games of the of the season. And then he went on the bench for the next seven, I believe. And then he started again for like the next seven, went to the bench for two, started the next three. <laughs> then he gets hurt. Um, and then he comes back and he's on the bench for the next four games that he's back. And then he starts again and starts for like 10 games in a row, 12 games in a row, then back to the bench, then starting for one, then back to the bench. It's just like the kid couldn't catch a break in terms of what his role was supposed to be. And I know there were some thoughts there like, oh, we like him off the bench better. We feel like Justin Holiday is a better starter. But at that point for me, I was just like, this is getting a little bit too uh, inconsistent. I feel like if you want to have measure long-term starter, starter, start him. If you don't, bring him off the bench and let him get accustomed to the role. But he did say that he did enjoy starting more than coming off the bench. So I think that that's something to keep an eye on as we move forward, because look, um, you know, I, uh, I want to continue to see how him and Halliburton play together, but unfortunately they've only played in seven games together. So um, I, I'm not sure exactly the overall stats on that and what they, what they average, but you know, just playing seven games together, and I know some of those minutes were limited for Duarte as he was coming back from injury, and they were trying to get acclimated. I mean, we saw some nice flashes there from them both together, but we didn't get a large enough sample size. So I would really like to see them play more together next season and, and just see how that works because I feel like, obviously, Halliburton is the face of the franchise moving forward. I think him and Duarte fit great together, to be honest with you, on paper, but I want to see it more on the court. Yeah, I want to see a lot more of it. And that's the thing is like we're seeing Halliburton have these games where you know double digit assists, but he's doing it without guys like Turner and Duarte in there. So you just really feel like, man, it's like it's hard to get a real sense of what this team could be because some of these guys haven't even played together at all between Halliburton and Turner, or you know, wanting to to move, you know, get Duarte back in there, wanting to get Isaiah Jackson consistently in there. There's I mean, obviously, T.J. Warren, there's so much of, of all that that we need to see these pieces together. But for Duarte, I mean, it, it's so quick to forget that how much the Pacers actually trusted him early on. I mean, it was 
game three against the Miami Heat where they turned to Duarte for a game winning shot before overtime. Yeah. You know, that was something none of us expected. So as from a, a pure fan standpoint, it was so cool to draft a player and then see the franchise really trust him and put him in there. This wasn't TJ Leaf or Gogo, and we don't know when we're even going to see them or, or anything like that. I mean, this was a rookie that, you know, overall just they, they kind of threw in there, and it was like, let's see what the kid can do. And it was a lot of fun. There's been some good moments, you know, here and there. And, then, and I wouldn't even say there's been bad moments, but some of the, those good, fun moments, like the Duarte buzzer beaters, I mean, that's what, what – has us at the edge of our seats wanting to see more because this kid can flat out shoot. And, and I can't wait until we can get a guy like Halliburton, you know, in there with him that can get him even better looks than he was getting this year. Let me ask you this defensively. How do you think he played this year? I think he played pretty well. I mean, look, it, it's, it, I think guarding, you know, from a defensive standpoint of guarding guards, it, it's a tough challenge as a rookie. I mean, it really is because, you know, the talent in the Pac-12, I'm, I'm sorry, but it is not comparing to NBA talent. And, uh, you know, I know Duarte was an all-defensive, you know, for, I think it was all-defensive first team in the Pac-12, but I think he held his own. He averaged over – it was exactly one steal per game, but he had a stretch where it was in the, in the month of February where he almost registered at least one steal in every single game. There's only one game he didn't have a steal. And, yeah, you don't want to just judge off of that, but – I think that he's got good size. I think that this is always a huge adjustment year that I saw this guy's more than capable of an NBA defender. He's not going to be a slouch. Yeah, I um I personally felt like Duarte really stepped up to the challenge when it came to having to take on players that were better than him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about it, like him being a rookie garden against NBA talents different. But number one, uh, he doesn't get – the same calls that he might get in the past. No, not at all. Because in the NBA, how it works, it's like when you're a rookie, like you're going to get screwed sometimes on some calls just because veterans have the have the right over you sometimes just based on the, the respect and experience of the NBA players, uh, knowing how to bait you into foul stuff. So like seeing him get ejected in Minnesota when we were already uh, undermanned was, you know, not great, but I thought it was a good sign of just how competitive he is. I really enjoyed that. But I do remember games like Atlanta when he would be the one guarding Trey Young. Like that's somebody that the Pacers have struggled with for years. And I still think yes. that Trey Young had a good game, but it was nice to see that you could throw Duarte a little bit of a quicker guy um, laterally out there on him, but he also had some size. And then a totally different player that you threw on him was uh, Jimmy Butler. I remember against the Heat, he was guarding Jimmy Butler. I don't think Jimmy Butler had a particularly great game that first game in uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse when Duarte hit that big three over P.J. Tucker, and the crowd Jimmy went crazy. struggled in that game. So, yeah, I remember yeah. It, it was some rough shooting numbers that, that night. Yeah, and I mean, Duarte was guarding him at times. So it's like, look, when you look at Duarte, I think he's a versatile defender that can guard multiple positions, and that's why when we've had the question of, oh, do you think he's a two or a three, it's like this is where I've really just stuck my flag on the ground and said, hey, he can guard one through three because he's done it already. <laughs> he's already proven that he can. Look, the defense for this Pacers team has been abysmal. Like, let's not let's not kid ourselves. It's been bad. But I think he's got the intangibles and he's got the skill set to be a successful NBA defender. You bring Turner back, you hope that you can get Halliburton to maybe lock in a little bit more defensively, and you find some other guys to to pair around that around those three starters right there. You know, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I know that uh, I don't know if you heard of it, Carlisle or not, but he did referred to Brogdon as the team's best perimeter defender in a post-game press conference on Friday against the Celtics. 
and Turner as the team's best rim protector. So without those two guys, it really makes it hard for our defense to really be successful. But, you know, depending on who's back and what we do in the draft and stuff like that, it's always up in the air for uh, debate. But I just personally feel like Chris Duarte defensively has taken strides this year already. And once he gets fully healthy, I think he'll get better. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. As from a, from a rookie defensive standpoint in a rough season, it's hard to fully you know judge his defensive capabilities based on any numbers because, like you mentioned, half the season we're without our best defenders. So it's hard to look at you know a defensive rating or anything like that. But from the eye test, we've shown, hey, we can work with this. This is going to be someone who is going to continue to grow as a defender, and the foundation is there. So I look forward to that. I look forward to, you know, seeing him take the next step in his game, you know, whether yeah. it's offensively also, because I try to find stats that, you know, of his that tied to winning. And it's hard to find those in a year that was just so rough for the Pacers. You know, I can't find a correlation where, hey, in games that he shot 50%, the Pacers were, you know, 10 in this. Like, no, we don't have those. But a few different stats that I was able to find, pretty interesting, you know, uh, while he scored 20 points six different times, and while that's not that impressive given his 27-point debut, we would, we would have expected more of that, but he did score 15 or more 19 different times. Mm. So I thought that was pretty solid. We saw as a playmaker, he had four games of five assists or more, but two of those five actually were in the first seven games when Brogdon and Levert were out. So felt like he could have been more of a playmaker if asked to be. Um, and then 21 times, he had five or more rebounds on the season. So... 10 times he made three or more threes in a game and 22 times he shot 40% or better from three. So let's not take for granted that he's a, he's a really good three point shooter. And this is as a rookie, basically shooting 37% as a hair under. So he's more than capable from three point land. And I think that we're only going to see him get better looks with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, but also be able to increase his shot volume when there's guys like, Karis LeVert, that are no longer there. We'll find out what we do with Brogdon, you know. So I, I think that overall, from a rookie standpoint, he had one of the better Pacer rookie years in recent memory, for sure. Well, I mean, that's not saying it much. It doesn't say much. It doesn't. <laughs> but he had it. He had it. So I'll take it. Yeah, and I feel like a little bit like after the Halliburton trade, people kind of like forgot about Duarte a little bit. They did. You know, it's kind of like the the spotlight went from, oh, Chris Duarte's playing the night to, ooh, Halliburton's playing the night. And so – I feel like while that's understandable and I get it why the spotlight shifted, I still think that maybe because of the injuries, we kind of just like grew accustomed to not seeing Duarte out there as much. And so we kind of got more used to the Buddy Heel, Lance Stevenson, Dwayne Washington Jr. rotation, which it's not been fun, <laughs> completely no, fun to see. And I would have loved to have seen Duarte out there during this stretch of games where we're losing just to develop that chemistry with Tyrese, but I, I think overall he's had a solid year. Obviously it sucks that it went down with like the way it did with them injuries, but who knows how injured he really is. It's something he could have played through if the team wasn't already eliminated from the playoffs. It's possible. Um, I don't want to read too much into that though, because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a detective, but I, I do think that Duarte was deserving of at least second team rookie recognition. I don't know if he'll get it. It's up in the air. I think at this point, but he did have a solid year. He did make the Rising Stars challenge because of how well he had played. And I feel like he was never afraid of the moment. And that, to me, is something that is really cool to see. And I, and I love his story. I think his work ethic is incredible. I, I only expect him to get better moving forward after this season. 
Yeah, I really do. And I, that's one of the things that I'm very excited to see because a lot of players take a huge jump from year one to two, especially guards. And I, I think when you mentioned he was never afraid of the big moment. I mean, when you look at this rookie class, I mean, there's obviously a lot of really talented players, but there's not a lot of guys that are being trusted to take game winners. And Duarte Woods, we talked about the, the shot against, you know, Miami where they went to him in game three to win it. Well, Alex, let's also talk about how it's kind of forgotten a little bit, but when the NBA robbed Duarte of the four-point play against the Lakers, uh-huh. that, that would have likely won it. I mean, that would have put him front and center with everything. I mean, a, 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 that three-pointer in the corner, it was magical. It, it, he should have gotten fouled on that. That would have been a four-point play to beat LeBron and the Lakers. This ain't the same. That wasn't the same Lakers team right now that's losing every single game. That was a statement right there. So, I wish he could have had that moment in full, but let's not forget that he hit that shot. He just didn't get the call he deserves. Yeah, and I mean, don't forget the Atlanta game either where he got hacked by Kevin Herter when he oh had the steal. Oh, my God, we pulled his jersey. <laughs> yeah. That, that was one of the, the worst blown calls I've seen. We forget about this, but these are game-winning plays right here that, that he would have made or, you know, whatever it is, blown calls. Absolutely, Pachi. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to play a little game called fact or fiction i'm going to give Fachi five statements and he has to tell me if they're fact or fiction and we'll discuss them right after this we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Vachi, it's time for Fact or Fiction. And this one's a little bit of a fun game to me because I really enjoy coming up with things and then discussing them. So we're going to go here with number one, uh, Fact or Fiction, Vachi. Tyrese Halliburton 
is the best player this team has had since Paul George. Fact. I'm going with it. All right. You want to elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, yeah no, I will. Because, uh, look, hey, obviously this can't be proven wrong. But, look, when you look at it, he's, the first thing to say is, really, Sabonis was a two-time All-Star. Okay. Now let's compare their ceilings. Because right now I feel like Halliburton can very well develop into, you know, more than a two-time All-Star. But also – you and I, let like a broken record, have said this team needs a true point guard. While Sabonis might have been one of the, the best, you know, passing big men, you could say right behind Jokic, Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is one of the best passers in the NBA. And I think if the biggest knock on him is that, hey, he's not aggressive enough, he's, he's not looking for a shot enough, well, he's looking for his teammates a lot. And when you're looking to win a championship or have those type of aspirations, you need a player that can make everybody better. And I think that that's what Tyrese Halliburton does compared to perhaps a DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, I think that he has the most potential to be the best player since Paul George. I would say right now, it's hard to say that he's been better than DeMontis Sabonis was in his first All-Star year or Victor Oladipo in 17-18. They had some really special years, and I think sometimes we overlook that. Um, I was really just thinking about this the other day, and I'm like, man, you know, Uh, There was this thing on Stat Muse they put out, and I believe it was like the Grizzlies, the Suns, and the Mavericks were all in the bottom three of the Eastern Conference standings or the Western Conference standings in like 2017, 2018. And then that next year, Luka Doncic goes in the draft. Um, I believe Jaron Jackson was in that draft, Mm -hmm. John Morant, DeAndre Ayton, and all of a sudden those teams at the bottom three in four years are at the top. Now, look, now it wasn't just those pieces that really turned it around, uh, specifically for Phoenix already having Booker and then acquiring – uh, Chris Paul, but the fact that Memphis got John Morant and Jaron Jackson and the Mavericks were able to get Luka Doncic and turn that thing around so quick, it makes you wonder, did the Pacers do the right thing by getting the five seed, going to play Cleveland in 17-18 and giving us a fun seven-game series, or would they have been better off trading away those veteran assets and trying to get into the lottery that year and potentially you know, landing a top-five pick because they could have basically restarted this whole entire rebuild Four years ago, we wouldn't be where we're at today. No, we wouldn't be. It's tough because that 2017-2018 season was so fun. And yeah. when you meant when you mentioned, you know, when you brought up Oladipo a little while ago, I, I feel like okay, call it dramatic or not. I've been burned, I've been hurt, you know, and I've I've buried a lot of part of that season over there. But that season was so much fun because the expectations were so low going yeah. into it. And you know, pushing LeBron to seven games in the first round, like. Oh, man. I mean, of course, it had to be LeBron that we had to play. Otherwise, I think we beat any other team in the East at that point. You know, maybe not the one seeded, but whatever it is, we played really good. To lose, you know, in seven games to LeBron is never something to be disappointed about. It stinks. But I think the reason why I put Hal Burton, you know, above Oladipo is just because it felt like it was just that season for Vic. Like right after that, and we could do a whole other episode on this, but it's just, Things were never the same after that with the injuries and all that. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, if he stays healthy, I think he'll definitely be the best pacer since Paul George in there. But, man, I mean, hey, look, it's you can only say, hey, what if we had just completely been one of the worst? And we'll see what happens, but we'll never know. We'll never know what could have happened. And at that point, it was fun because when you look at the season we just went through, man, I I would have really very much loved to push a – a LeBron-led team to seven games in the playoffs and really have something to root for. But in the end, this is the best thing for us. Yeah, I think if I look back at it, I'm mean, sure I can see where that argument would make some sense and I can talk myself into it a little bit. But I also think at the same time, like, 
that was a really fun team, and I will it never really forget was. that season. So I don't think it's worth forgetting all those fun memories no. that we had. Uh, even the painful ones where we had to see Tristan Thompson kick our butt in game seven and LeBron James, that, the goal 10 with the game-winning three on fan. Oh, my Ugh. God. Oh, Just my God. Give me PTSD. But let's move on here. Factor fiction question number two. Chris Duarte was actually the wrong choice for the Pacers with the 13th pick. This this is tough right over here. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I even have the draft pulled up right in front of me. Uh, I'm going to say – I'm going to say fiction. I think he was the right pick because here's the thing. The Pacers could have never known that they were going to be as bad as they were. If they were heading towards a rebuild, your boy Moses Moody would have been the move, you know, because it looked a lot younger and everything like that. But when the Pacers were trying to win, it was like, hey, how do we keep this going? And Chris Duarte was the most NBA-ready guy at that spot. So I'm going to say fiction. Okay. I'm going to say fact. I think at this point, the Pacers, once again, and in, in in, I hate to say this about Chris Wright because I do like him, and you guys know how I felt about the pick at the time, but I still kind of feel that way. The man's going to be 25 by this year's draft, Fachi. I'm not saying that he's old, but I'm just saying the Pacers took a safe pick when they had a lottery, when they had a lottery pick. They, they hardly ever get a good chance uh, to get into the lottery but this year, obviously, it's an anomaly because they finally, for once, decided to get a top, like, eight pick. But here we are looking at this team. <laughs> it's like, really? You're going to get a lottery pick and you're going to take a guy that's, you know, viewed as a limited player? Like, he's going to be good, but, like, how good can he really be? And, like, while we had, like, hopes at the beginning of the season, like, okay, maybe he's going to be, like, a 20-point-per-game score. He's, like, you know, Dominican Devin Booker, all this stuff, Dominican Clay. Like, we talked about all these different things that he could be, but – I think ultimately, um, had they drafted Moses Moody, I'm just saying, if they had drafted him, I'm not Corey Kispert. Good not, Lord, no. not Corey Kispert. I mean, I he's improved. Be, he, he has improved, but I wanted to be on record. Like, there was safe, and then there was picking Corey Kispert. Like, it was just, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I prefer 10 out of 10 times taking Duarte over Corey Kispert. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way here. Um, and like I said, I said a bad player, and I'm not sure what his ceiling is. I want to continue to see what he does with this Pacers team, but I feel like had they just drafted Moses Moody, the guy with the more upside, they'd be in a better spot now. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I, I don't think it was a terrible pick. I just think that it might have been the wrong pick for this Pacers team. And I think it would have been really fun to see Chris Duarte actually on the Warriors uh, playing that Clay Thompson role before Clay got back and then actually being able to play them together out there um, <laughs> would have been really fun. I mean, they've got a really good player in, in Kaminga that they got at the seventh pick. The Warriors did. So Moody was a guy that they liked, but it wasn't a guy that they loved. They wanted Duarte. They really did. So, you know, I get it. It just depends on where your team's at. But for me personally, like, I don't want Sengun. Like, he's a really good player, but I don't think he would have made sense here, obviously, with us already having three centers. So it really was just between Moody and Duarte. Pacers like Duarte better. He's a good player. But I think there's still a case that Moody's ceiling could be much higher. And I just wish that we could have gotten a chance to see that much. Yeah, look, there's definitely still that chance because Moody's not going to be 25 for, for quite some time. Um, so he's going to continue to get better. Um, but, you know, obviously it's, it's easier to say that now, given that where the Pacers are. But had they been, you know, 
on the cusp of making the playoffs or anything and Duarte was healthy, I think we would have said, hey, this guy can just flat out help us more right now. But, you know, injuries and all that, I, I think it, it, it took a little bit of that shine off of the Chris Duarte season. So I, I look forward to him coming back next year and then seeing, you know, I think we'll be able to more properly judge, you know, his rookie season or be able to answer that question perfectly. Absolutely. We're going to move to a tough one here, Fox. You thought Ooh, that one was it tough. On. That was Actor tough. fiction. Rick Carlisle is overrated as an NBA coach. Oh, man. It, it, this hurts to say, but I'm going to have to say it's fact. I, I do think he might be a bit overrated because here's the thing. Look, he's an NBA champion. All right. This guy coming into the year was 15th all time and wins. I'm sure he's moved up a little bit. Uh Three-time Pacer, you know, three-time stints with – three stints with the Pacers, however you want to word it. Look, really good coach, has not had the playoff success since that championship. They've been bounced in the first round, I think, every year actually since. Or, or the years – you know, in other years, they have not made it. So, yeah. it hurts me to say because I love the guy, but we could be saying he, he is a bit overrated. I think it's fact. I, it is. It's, it's, it's I think sometimes when you have these coaches – that have been, you know, in the league for a while, it's really hard to sit here and be like, okay, you know, they're not, you know, they've, they've lost a little bit, but mm-hmm. they won the championship. I believe it was in 2011. Yep. So they lost with the Thunder in 11, 12. They didn't make it 12, 13, lost to the Spurs in 13, 14, lost to the Rockets in 14, 15, lost to the Thunder in 15, 16, didn't make it in 16, 17 or 17, 18 or 18, 19. <laughs> Then lost and yeah, so he hasn't won a first round playoff no. series since the championship. Look, this was a familiarity pick from the Pacers. Got him. We were excited because we were living on the thoughts of, oh my God, championship coach, he's going to come in here and change everything, and that he did in terms of changing the roster and being able to like evaluate talent well, like getting Isaiah Jackson, getting Chris Duarte, two guys that he liked in this draft class. Look, I mean, they're good players. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I feel like if you look at Dallas and how well they've played this year with Jason Kidd, a guy that everybody thought was a terrible coach and was a terrible hire, like, what are they doing? Like, why are they going after him? And like how they haven't skipped a beat, you know, to me a little bit, I just feel like maybe Rick Carlisle's lost some of his edge from 10 years ago. And I think sometimes coaches that are a little bit older might lose their edge a little bit. Some of the stuff he's done on court has not made a ton of sense at all. Um, He's been okay. Right. He's not been bad, but he's not been good. I mean, obviously this team just sucks, and maybe he was trying to point out all the flaws in it to get it broken up, but uh, I, I don't know how many more excuses we can make for him. This is, uh, you know, I, I talked to some people who were like, really like, oh, come on, this guy, why are we bringing him back? It's, uh, you know, we've been there, done that. This is kind of silly. It's like going back to an ex-girlfriend that, you know, it didn't work out with. So, <laughs> you know, um, there is that familiarity with him and uh, Donnie Walsh and Larry Bird and, and, and Herb Simon. So, I get it, and he knows Kevin Pritchard as well. But, yeah, I uh, I feel like they probably won't make a coaching change, obviously. I would be really shocked if they did. No, I, w- I would be shocked if they made another change. I think the Pacers in front office took that one big risk on Bjorkman, and when it backfired, I think they were terrified to, to do it again. Now, the image in my head is you got Pritchard in the front office saying, buckle up, boys, because we're playing it safe. You know, and it's just, that's, I think that's what they went with. It was just like, hey, how do we get the, the sure thing that, you know, we can't go through another coach. And, you know, Rick, he's a guy that I feel like most of the time can, can get you in the playoffs and everything. And, and this Pacers team needed to get back to that. They needed to win a playoff series. 
And unfortunately, we, we, we tore it down. But you know what? That's what needed to happen based on this because we were going to tread the waters of mediocrity for far too long. So at this point, it, it hurts to say he's overrated because I, I do think you know he's a Hall of Fame worthy coach. But, you know, at some point, you got to get out of the first round again. It's been over 10 years. And I, I look forward to hopefully, you know, not embarking on a long rebuild, but hopefully Rick getting us, you know, back into winning territory. All right. Well, speaking of winning territory, the Pacers will make the play in game in 2023. Fact or fiction? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> no fiction. It, it hurts me to say over here. <laughs> I feel like I'm just kicking us while we're down. But here's the thing you and I went through it a couple episodes ago. The East is a stacked place. You've got Brooklyn in the eighth seed. You've got, you got the Atlanta Hawks, who just came off of a conference finals run. They're looking at, like, the 10th seed right now. Cleveland could fall all the way down. It's, it's a hard spot to be in. I know the Pacers have draft picks. They got, they got cap space. But there's no guarantee to even say that we're even in the top 10 next year. It could just be rising a couple spots, maybe 11 or 12. And that's not where you want to be. Yeah, this is a tough one because obviously we don't know what the roster is going to look like. So I'm no. sorry to throw this one out there. But I guess based off of the roster now, if you're answering this question, I'd say no. Uh, I, I would say this is fiction. We are not a play-in game. The Pacers will not make the play-in game next year. And I honestly, I think that's a good I think that's good for the team. As much as I'm going to hate having another bad season, it really would not be the worst thing. You get to see the rookies develop together and play well together and, you know, take some L's but also grow individually on the court and – um, you'll see growth from Isaiah and, and Duarte. You'll hopefully see growth from Halliburton. And then you really set yourself up for 2024. Maybe some of these teams at the top, you know, like in Miami, they start to fall apart a little bit as Jimmy Butler's getting older, P.J. Tucker's getting older, Kyle Lowry's getting older. Um, who knows what happens with Philly and James Harden? You know, it's uh, there's a lot of question marks there on the rest of the Eastern Conference up in the uh, upper echelon. But yeah, Fachi, that's a that's a tough one. But let's move on to the last one here. And this one was kind of like I was trying to come up with something and I didn't really have anything great. So this is an interesting conversation, though. But I am going to ask you fact or fiction. Jalen Smith is a better player long term than Isaiah Jackson. Mm. Mm. These these have been some some real tough ones. I, I am a big Isaiah Jackson guy and I want to believe more in the potential because I'm, I'm going to say it's fiction. I'm going with Isaiah Jackson. I think Jalen Smith showed a lot this year, but this is year three for him. You you give you know, you give us Isaiah Jackson. This is year two. For Jalen Smith? Yeah, he's drafted in the same year as yeah, Tyrus right. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, you're right. I mean, time's flying. Um, yeah, thinking of Goga here. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Look, it's year two. It is, but... I, I think that Isaiah Jackson, we knew this was almost going to be like a red shirt type year. So I think you give us two full seasons of Isaiah Jackson, we're going to see something special. So I'm going fiction there. Yeah, this is a tough one. And honestly, I don't really like answering this one because I like both players. I think Isaiah Jackson, the defensive potential is there a little bit more than Jalen Smith. But I want to see more offensively because mm -hmm. Jalen Smith, I mean, the way he's shooting the ball there for a little bit, I mean, oh, man. unreal. Yes, uh, he's got. I think he's more of the offensive polished player than Isaiah Jackson is, but because Isaiah Jackson has the defensive potential as well as potentially the ability to learn how to knock down a three point shot, uh, he can already pretty much catch anything lobbed to him at the yes. rim. Um, I will give the I'll give the nod to Isaiah Jackson here and say that this is fiction, but I think it's really close, and I think that it's just like 
so thin of a margin, like it's not even really like a diss to Jalen Smith because honestly, I think they'd be really fun to watch together, <laughs> you know, long-term, but yeah, uh, I just, you know, I, I can see why people would talk themselves into Jalen Smith because like he might be a guy that could average like 15 points a game with like eight rebounds where Isaiah might be more like 12 and eight with, you know, three blocks, kind of like a, kind of like similar to Turner stats. And, you know, you might think to yourself, well, Jalen Smith at least gets more points, but is it really worth, you know, the two to three extra points per game that, you know, he's scoring versus Jackson's blocking and on ball defense and how he's able to switch? Because that's one of the things that I'm really interested to see him do is learn how to switch when he has to like, when they're playing like, you know, pick and roll and they decide to switch everything. How does he do going up against guards that are a little bit quicker than him? Can he stay with them? Can he block their jump shot? Like we said, uh, that we heard Rick Carlisle say that he can do. I just want to see more from him. And I feel like obviously this season is, like you said, it's tough to really get a great evaluation from him, but definitely want to see more from him than what I saw this year and feel like good player. Both of them are good players, but I don't see them ever becoming great players in the NBA. Now, look, I think Jalen Smith definitely took a big step forward with the Pacers compared to, you know, his, his playing time with the Suns and his role over there. But I don't see probably either of them being all-stars. I, I think if – I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to say that Isaiah Jackson could have a higher ceiling despite Jalen Smith being a top-10 pick, uh, you know, in the past. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, at, I'm at a point where Jalen Smith is probably going to be the better three-point shooter in his career. It seems kind of hard to argue with, but – He's not catching lobs and finishing anywhere near close to what Isaiah Jackson has shown this year. Isaiah Jackson, as a shot blocker, I think is already way, way past anywhere that Jalen Smith will ever become from a shot blocking standpoint. So they kind of complement each other pretty well in terms of what one does really well, the other maybe needs a lot of work in. But it, it's a very, it's a very fun debate. I think that's something that might be w- worth putting up as like a Twitter poll question. Yeah, we will do that maybe a couple days after the podcast airs and just kind of get people's thoughts on it. But with that being said, Fachi, we are going to wrap up today's show uh, with this. So thank you, everybody, for checking us out. If you haven't already, make sure you please give us a five-star rating and reviews, preferably on Apple. I know Spotify, we would appreciate those as well. But we are just seven ratings and reviews away from 200, Fachi. So, you know, we got about seven days left of the regular season. So help us out. Go over there and just tell a friend, tell someone, please. Go go setting the pace, a five-star rating and review over on uh, Apple Podcasts and help them out and help them grow. But Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you're hoping the Cavs continue to win and the Bulls continue to lose, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. 
for the ones who get it done.